This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the show. It's Thursday, almost through another week here on Hockey Central and Sportsnet 960. I'm Haley Salvian here with you for the next hour. Gonna recap some of the playoff games from last night another excellent night of hockey and then we've got a full slate again coming up tonight uh we will recap and look ahead we've got Kristen Shilton from ESPN coming up on the program as well as Eric Dehachik from The Athletic he's a national writer he's been in Edmonton for the Kings Oilers series we can get into that series a little bit deeper with Eric as well as looking at the Flames obviously Eric uh you guys know him well in this market he's been around for for a while so it's always a pleasure to have eric on the program and uh kristen uh believes she's going to be in toronto for the leafs lightning so we'll dig into that a little bit with kristen as well as michael bunting we were tracking that yesterday during the show uh the fact that he had a hearing with the department of player safety uh after the show ended the news did come out that he would be suspended for three games after the check to the head of eric jernak in game one so we'll get into that a little bit with Kristen Shilton uh, coming up shortly on the program here. Some of the games last night, the Carolina Hurricanes win 4-3 in overtime. I don't like making games about the refs. I really don't like the how much we complain about refereeing. But I just got to say, like last night was a tough one to ignore between the Canes and the New York Islanders. Tavo Teravina needs surgery to repair a broken hand and will miss the rest of the series. There was no call on that play. Jean-Gabriel Pajot hacked him in the hands so hard, apparently, that he needs surgery and is going to be out. Again, no call on that play. You go back and rewatch it, there should have been a call. No call, though. Uh, that's just another hit for the Carolina Hurricanes, by the way. So no Teravine and no Max Pacioretty and no Andre Svechnikov. Three important forwards all out of that lineup. It's a good thing they have one of the most active D in the league, I suppose. But when we're looking at the other side of things for the New York Islanders, uh, the refs missed a high stick by Jordan Martinuk right in front of them. A ref and a linesman right in front. Uh, Jordan Martinuk, his stick catches Scott Mayfield right in the face. Uh, and then about two seconds later, Jesper Fast scores the OT winner to give Carolina a 2 nothing lead in the series, heading to Long Island. Uh, not great. Like, I understand there's been a lot of debate over incidental contact. Do you make that call in the playoffs in overtime? You know, refs don't want to put their stamp on the game in that way. But if it's a penalty, just call the penalty. I really don't think it should be that complicated. And on that incident, we saw Scott Mayfield. He's on the ice holding his face and was unable to get up, recover, and get into a position to prevent the pass through the slot too fast who got the game winner. Um, I really don't know why it needs to be that hard. Just call the penalty. 
clearly was one. Uh, anyways, as I said, Canes with a 2 nothing series lead up on the Islanders in round one. Uh, the Florida Panthers beat the Bruins 6-3 to last night. Sam Bennett returned. Playoff Sam Bennett returned to the lineup, and he scored. It was a rough night for Linus Allmark in that game. I think there are some questions if we see Jeremy Swayman in game three. I do kind of think that's a overreaction after one bad game by the goalie who's probably about to win the Vesna Trophy. Uh, but I think the bigger question is no Patrice Bergeron last night. He did skate today, but still no update on whether he's going to travel to Florida, whether he's going to be available for games three and four. And I guess my question is, is that there was something going on with Patrice Bergeron. Why did he play in game 82? Simple question. Just wondering. I don't have the answer. But I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, in one of the most fun series in the first round, Stars beat the Wild 7-3. to That series is now tied 1-1. Second period was a trip. The Stars come out hot. They get up 4-1. to Wild try to pull a 180 to bring the lead down 4-3. By the end of the second, though, it's 6-3. 7-3 is your final. Rupe Hintz was excellent last night uh, when the Stars needed it most. With Joe Pavelski out of the lineup, he delivered big. Uh, when the Stars needed a PK... Hints delivered. When they needed a good power play, he delivered. Uh, he finished the game with a hat trick, a goal on the power play, shorthanded and at even strength. On the other side of the coin, Minnesota just completely galaxy-brained their goalie situation. Starting Marc-Andre Fleury after Philip Gustafson's monster game one, the Wild had a chance to take command of the series in Dallas, go up 2 nothing with the hot hand, heading back to Minnesota for home ice. Instead, Dean Evanson stuck with his season-long trend of the goalie rotation, inserting Flurry in for his first start in eight days instead of going with Gustafson. And they lost 7-3. So the big question in that series, will that decision and this 7-3 victory for Dallas swing the series? We'll wait and see for Game 3. That goes tomorrow. And, of course, Edmonton uh, beat L.A. 4-2 to last night. Oilers power play lethal once again. Got out to a lead and didn't let go of it as they did in Game 1. We'll talk about that a bit more with Eric Tehachik later in the show. When he joins us, he was in Edmonton for the first two games. All right, we're going to go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline now and tee up some of the games coming up tonight, including the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've got Kristen Shilton. She's an NHL reporter for ESPN on the line. Kristen, how are we doing? How are we feeling today? <laughs> Pretty good, Haley. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm like taking a breath. There's I feel like every day when I'm going through the top of the show, there's just so much going on now. It's fun, though. It makes all of the kind of boring parts of the season worth it. There were a couple weeks there getting a little hairy with the producers. Like, what are we going to talk about? Nothing's going on. We're just waiting for the playoffs to start. And I'm not going to complain about how much is going on because this is what we wait for. It's been fun. Well, yeah, exactly. Especially if you were the Leafs and the Lightning, you knew who you were going to play since January. So <laughs> you definitely were feeling those uh the, the the sense of staleness as the regular season wore on knowing your playoff fate was decided yeah a lot of hurry up and wait there but I guess the big news and the story of the day for the Maple Leafs is Michael Bunting he's out for three games that suspension came down yesterday after his hearing with the Department of Player Safety I personally I know there was a lot of debate over the length of the suspension uh, I agree that we could probably go back into the archives and find a bunch of examples of worse hits that got less harsh penalties. But 
I think that can be true while also saying that three games for Michael Bunting isn't an overreaction. There was interference, contact to the head, and an injury for Eric Cernak on that play. So I the math makes sense for me on three games. Uh, but, but what's your take on the suspension for Michael Bunting and, and how that's going to impact the Leafs at the top of the lineup? Well, you know, I, I thought he'd get two. That was sort of my uh, my estimate. But mm-hmm. I understand after hearing the Department of Player Safety's explanation, it was an illegal check to the head, and there was the interference component to it as well. Chernak, you know, doesn't have the pockets. It's an interesting play in and of itself just in how Bunting approached it. The you know, just it, it was interesting hearing Sheldon Keith even talk about it today, you know, and him just saying just all around, it was like he got there too early and he, you know, it wasn't it wasn't poorly intentioned, obviously. I don't think anyone's trying to say that Bunting went out there intending to hurt Chernak, but I think when you look at the length, you also have to consider what Tampa's now potentially lost as well. I mean, that's an important piece of their defense that you don't know how long he's going to be out for. It could be longer than three games. We know he's not playing tonight and, and that's a big loss for Tampa. So I think there's a confluence of factors that went into why it was three games. I don't necessarily think it's about, Oh, we had to throw the book at bunting to send a Mm -hmm. message or anything like that. But uh, (laughs) I do think that there, there was enough explanation for me to understand in this particular case, why three games was warranted. Not every illegal check to the head is this one. Obviously, there was uh, uh, there was enough to it. Um, now, in terms of how it affects the Leafs, they're fortunate that you know Cal Yarncroft will start on the top line uh, with with Matthews and Marner tonight. See how that goes for Toronto. But I do think they have better depth than they've had in years past. There's opportunity. Uh, to move Ryan O'Reilly to, you know, the top six and then put John Tavares on the wing. They they can do, you know, a lot with their bottom six, whether it's with David Camp or, um, you know, Alex Kerfoot. They've got Noel Achari. They've got Sam Lafferty now. There's there's a lot of bodies there that uh, I, I think can, can help to fill that void. So it's really just a matter, I think, for Sheldon Keith to tinker and, and find what's going to work and bring out the best chemistry from this group for these next three games. And honestly, I don't know how you feel about this, Kristen, but I was doing the the Leafs report cards for game one. And while I was watching it, I kept thinking and I made note of this. This was before uh, the incident with Bunting with the with the headshot and then he gets booted from the game. I just kept thinking Callie Yarncroke should be on that top line right now. I think he is more impactful there. I thought that third line uh, with Yarncroke. It was Yarncroke, Achari and Kerfoot. They were terrible. They had a four percent expected goal rate. I have never seen an expected goal rate that low ever in my time looking at underlying numbers. Like they were just completely ineffective in all three zones. And I really like the fit of yarn croak on the top line. So I, I think as far as, you know, not having bunting as the option, it's not, it's not the worst thing because I didn't think he was very good in game one either. <laughs> no, I, I think yarn plays better the higher up he is in the lineup. I think that, uh, you know, being versatile is important, but you also have to look at where a player excels. And I thought Yarncroft had played well with Matthews in the past. I thought that they had been, um, you know, they had been sort of a good duo. I know Matthews has been very um, complimentary of the way that Yarncroft plays. 
Um, and, and, you know, you're, you're, you expect more from him, I think, than just being a third-line guy as well. I think there's, there's more uh, to him that, that he can bring and, as opposed to maybe a more defensive role. Let him, you know, spread his wings a bit more offensively. Let him be that playmaker uh, for Matthews and Marner. And, and that's what you need, right? Because it's, it's really at this time of year, it's not about even what the Buntings and the Yarncroft can do. It's about how are we elevating and emphasizing and spotlighting the core players that haven't performed in the past necessarily the way they wanted to in the playoffs, and that has not led to success for Toronto. It has to change in this series. You need Matthews scoring goals. You need Varner scoring goals. It's not just about, hey, how many assists can the two of them rack up together? That's that's <laughs> just that's what Yarncroft needs to do. And I thought Bunting, he just – you know, there was such great chemistry with that group last year. It's not the same team. It's not the same dynamic. It's not the same anything, really, in terms of what Toronto is doing better this year than than what they did last year. I mean, they. I don't know if the defensive side of Michael Bunting necessarily keeps pace all the time with mm-hmm. with what um, with what Matthews and Marner are going, you know, are trying to do. But I do think Jaron Clark translates what he can do in a defensive role along with that offensive ability, much better higher up in the lineup than he does lower. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you look at game one, it was a disaster. And we can look ahead to game two here as well. But game one was was terrible. The first period, the Leafs were struggling to win puck battles. They were chasing Tampa around. And one of the things I really noticed with Marner specifically is Tampa was playing very physical with him. They were taking away his time and space. Uh, and we know that when that gets taken away from Marner, he's not as effective or impactful in the way that he can generate offense for his line mates. And I think that's what somebody like Callie Yarncroke does really well when he's put on that top line is he wins puck battles. He's gritty along the walls and he creates space for his line mates. So I think there's reason to think that that trio being back together on the top line heading into game two is going to be a good thing for the Leafs. Uh, you had a great story, though, Kristen, on ESPN that just came out, uh, I believe, this morning um, was why, you know, game one was bad. We all know that. Um, but could this year actually be different for the Maple Leafs? Like, do you get the sense that this year's playoff run is going to be different in the end, game one aside? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's a lazy narrative to just automatically say, hey, wow, another you know, series failure is incoming. And I, I wanted to just kind of examine the ways that this team could be different, not based on what they did in game one. There's nothing to do with that. I mean, I, I had a whole section on how, you know, I think Marner can be a real catalyst for change in this series. That's not based on what he did in game one. It's based on what he did for, you know, the 81 games before that, that he played. Because I, I really do think there's trends in this lease season where they have shown why, you know, they, they have been able to, to turn the page after bad losses. Ilya Samsonov has been able to, you know, play a bad game and come back and, and play a great one. You've seen that, you know, yes, it was awful, awful defensively uh, in terms of turnovers and, and the way that, you know, the Leafs weren't playing with confidence defensively, but they've also been steadier, more reliable, more, I, I just think, cohesive defensively as well this year than I've seen them, you know, in, in several years past. And there's, there was just a lot that I think you, you could look to and pull from the body of work that Toronto put together this year 
and really see why, yes, that first game did not go well. Last year, Tampa losing 5 nothing in game one, I don't think that wasn't, you know, that wasn't really how they drew it up either. But it's about how you respond. And I just believe that based on the numbers, based on what the Leafs have accomplished, there's still reason to think that they can bounce back, that they can even the series that they can play more to their own game. It doesn't, they may not win. They may still, you know, they may still come out of this with another loss, but I don't think it will be for the same reasons that, you know, in the past they've, they've gotten in trouble. I think that their star players are going to get rolling uh, all of, and, and that's just based on what they have shown in the regular season. And I don't think it was smoke and mirrors that Toronto had 111 points and finished fourth in the standings. So I, I think that it's important to just, you know, see how tonight goes for them, see what adjustments they can make, and, you know, maybe start to form a different opinion about where the Leafs are headed uh, based on just this year as opposed to the ways that they have failed in seasons past. So Ilya Samsonov gets the start in Game 2 for Toronto. He let in six goals in Game 1, gets pulled. Joseph Wall uh, makes a surprising playoff debut in the third period. Samsonov has started eight NHL playoff games. He's lost seven of them. Do you have any level of concern with his ability to be the number one goalie that wins the Leafs this series and I mean it's more than just goaltending but it's just so difficult to look at Samsonov's game one performance and then know that Andre Andre Vasilevsky excuse me is the goalie on the other side yeah absolutely and I think you it's it's, again you're you're going back and saying okay in in years past when you know Samsonov didn't play well in the playoffs uh, when he was with Washington through those two seasons, 21, 22, those were obviously different players in front of him. It was obviously a different time. Uh, you know, it was those weird sort of COVID years. Things were just a little bit different uh, in and around the league as well for some of it. So there's certain things that I think you can point to in the past for him and say, well, this is why it didn't work before. And you see this season, Samsov never had a year like this where he's been as consistent, been as good, put up the numbers that he did that ranked with, you know, among the very best goalies in the NHL. I I think when I, I go back and I watch his game one, I see him giving up rebounds. I see, you know, I see Tampa trying to exploit him up high. Uh, I think he was, I think he was getting down this stance too quickly. Uh, really trying to, you know, maybe he wasn't feeling as confident in the Leafs D as well, based on how the game started. And you, you know, you're down early, which immediately puts that, you know, seed of doubt in your head. It's like you're not even two minutes in, and you're you're already chasing it. So I think there was probably, again, like there was for the rest of the team, a lot that went into how he performed through those 40 minutes. The Leafs obviously did not help him. <laughs> with the number of, of, of giveaways that they had in their own zone. They struggled to clear the pocket. It, it was like they were moving through mud. Uh, and I think just for Samson of what I've gotten to know about him is that he really is able to just take that, you know, laid back personality that he has and roll it into the next game and say, Hey, you know what? The sun's come up. The game is all the same, no matter where you are, where you're playing it. So let's just go and try this again. So there's a reason that the Leafs believe in him. And, you know, again, Andre Vasilevsky is an unbelievable goaltender who, 
has also started series poorly and not just in the first round, but in other rounds. And it just, you know, sometimes it takes just that one to, you know, get it out of your system and then you can come back and, and play better. And I would, if I was a betting woman, I would suspect that Samsonov would be on that side of the coin as opposed to, Hey, you know, we're going to see wall step in again uh, for game mm-hmm. two. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's a great observation about the the rebound control with Samsonov. I think one of the biggest weaknesses, I, I did a story earlier in the year with ClearSight Analytics. It's the private goalie data firm. And one of the biggest weaknesses we found through a data and video review was like his biggest weakness overall in the season has been rebounds, particularly on the strong side. Um, and when you watch some of the clips, like he almost, when he gives up a rebound, he almost like adds movement to the to the save which opens up more holes yeah and he'll like open up the five hole when he's trying to move across a crease on a rebound and he just kind of makes it easier for for teams to to pick him apart on the rebound but he is good at um he is good at rebounding in any other way after after a bad game so you're right uh looking at the tampa side um obviously no eric cernak Victor Hedman's a game-time decision. Looks like Tanner Janot skated today, but there isn't anything confirmed whether or not he's going to play today. How can Tampa, you know, kind of keep up with with some of these key injuries to their roster? Well, the, the one thing the Lightning have on their side is, is experience. And I think they have the confidence from the well-earned confidence of these past few years to know that their depth has come through for them uh, so frequently that they have found, you know, different heroes at different times. Obviously, you know, you remember what Nick Paul was able to do to Toronto last year when Braden Point gets injured in game seven. Uh, You saw how other guys, you know, filled in for him, you know, in, in rounds two and three uh, and even into the cup final. So there's a confidence there. I also just think for the Lightning, you know, they seem to have taken to really to heart how the end of the regular season played out for them, whether it was just a fatigue, whether it was a, hey, we know who we're playing, so what's the point? Um, Or, you know, we know how to flip the switch, so this really doesn't matter. Um, They they do seem to have taken that to heart, the the struggles that they had, and, and maybe are a stronger team for it. So this is just kind of another... Uh, bump in the road to them that you know they've handled them all to this point so what would be different now and it does open up opportunity for other guys uh, and I think you know it's, it's interesting because we harp on the Leafs about you know no cups in 67 and how much do um, the players now sort of wear that history but it's a different kind of history that players have to wear in the Tampa room especially the guys who weren't there uh, for the cup you know, for the cup wins who are maybe newer to the group, um, you know, they have to wear that too. And they feel like they want to live up to those high expectations that Tampa set. So I do think it's a mindset. It's a mentality. When you run into injuries, you run into uh, these, these sort of unexpected shifts. There's not a team in my mind that's more capable of adjusting to their opponent uh, than Tampa. I saw them do it so many times uh, in the playoffs over the last three years. So I, I have no doubt that whoever needs to step up to keep them where they want to be, they're, they're going to find that person uh, because they always do. And if all else fails, Corey Perry will be a scoring machine because that <laughs> is the least luck. 
he was so good in game one as well. Just all <laughs> like his fingerprints were all over it. He was he was a real problem. Absolutely. Uh, looking at some of the other games here, Kristen, that are coming up tonight. We've got Rangers Devils game two, Kraken Avs game two, Jets Golden Knights game two. What surprised you the most after the the first game of of these series? Was it the Jets five one win over Vegas or Seattle beating the defending champs in in Colorado? You know, I I would say I was surprised by the result in uh, the Colorado Kraken game, but only really because I just it was sort of like watching two. It was a bit like watching the Leafs and Lightning in Game One, where it was like two teams who who just didn't seem to be playing the same game. It, it just felt like Colorado was was just not themselves. It didn't seem like they were presenting the way you would expect from a team that good and that deep and that should have all the confidence in the world. And you remember that first round. Um, uh, you remember that first round sweep of Nashville last year, where it just felt like you know, Colorado was able to just exploit, exploit, exploit. And I thought that's the kind of energy that they would bring again against the Kraken, which they're new to the postseason experience. They, you know, there's, you know, you have to start against the, the reigning cup champs. You you should have been all over them from the start. And again, it just felt like, why are you tentative? Like, where is that hesitancy kind of coming from? So it's what I wonder about with Colorado. It's what I've, I've talked about with them all season what is it about that swagger that the avalanche had last year that hasn't translated as much through the regular season? And then I thought enough into game one. And that's what really I found perplexing was just, you know, not taking anything away from the Kraken or what they've been able to do to this point or what they will continue to do. But I just was more, I think, surprised that it just didn't look like that swagger, in Colorado's game was there. And I really thought they had every reason to come out and try to just punch Seattle right in the mouth and really just reassert themselves as like, Hey, we are the champions for a reason. Absolutely. I, I kind of said something similar recently on the athletic hockey show, the podcast that I host on like Thursdays slash Fridays. And I had kind of said, there's something about Colorado they're just not giving me the big bad wolf feeling that I had last year like last season there was no doubt in my mind that the Avs were going to run through their opponents and and win the Stanley Cup but there's something this year where I'm like eh, maybe it's the injuries you know maybe they did lose they lost some important players obviously no Gabriel Landeskog thought he was going to be able to come back no Nazem Kadri, and they kind of struggled to replace him as the 2C but there's just something about the abs this year that isn't giving me the same, oh, God, look out. They're, they're just a perfect hockey team. Yeah, and, and I think you, you said it. I mean, there's definitely some key pieces. Andre Barakovsky's not there. You don't have, um, you know, some of those, those heart and soul guys. And maybe that is it. Maybe it's, it's just a lack of, of, of spark. But whatever it is, uh, if Colorado's going to repeat, they're going to have to find it in a hurry. Awesome. Well, great stuff, Kristen. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. I assume you're going to be at the Leafs Tampa. Enjoy that one and the rest of the games and appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me, Haley. All right. There goes Kristen Chilton from ESPN. She is a national writer. You can catch all of her stuff on ESPN.com.ca. It's .com. I apologize.
Um, we got a note in the text line here as we were talking about the Florida Panthers before we brought Kristen on. Um, you know, that commented on, I didn't realize that Florida was the, that we were, excuse me, that the Flames were the farm team for the Florida Panthers, Sam Reinhart, Sam Bennett, Matthew Kachuk, Ryan Lomberg, Garnet Hathaway. <laughs> uh, too bad we gave up on those players and couldn't keep any of them. And I had this thought watching Sam Bennett and Matthew Kachuk unite for a goal in, in the playoffs yesterday. And I just wondered... That's got to be tough for Flames fans to watch and say, I wonder what could have happened if both of those guys would have stuck around and actually got lengthy runs on the same line together. Who knows? Maybe we'd be watching the Flames in the playoffs right now. Um, and just wanted to say that conversation with Kristen was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take order delivery at 403 248 3344. I've got a question for the text line 960 960 if you are listening live and want to join in on the conversation. As you're watching these playoffs as a Canadian hockey fan, if there is one team that you want to get behind in terms of a Canadian team, I feel like we've all crossed out the Edmonton Oilers. We've talked about this earlier on the show. People in Calgary aren't just going to hop on and, and start cheering for Edmonton. That's fine. But what's the lesser of two evils? Is it the Winnipeg Jets, who you couldn't catch to get into the playoffs? Or is it the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, you know, people don't like? <laughs> like what's, who, who are you latching on to? Maybe it's not even a Canadian team. Maybe it's just, maybe it's the Florida Panthers, because you still like Matthew Gachuk and Sam Bennett. Maybe it's, you know, just a random team that you, that you enjoy. Maybe it's the Kraken. I don't know. Who's everyone cheering for? Maybe it's the LA Kings. Maybe that's the most obvious answer. Want the Kings to beat the Oilers in the first round? I don't know. Let me know on the text line, 960-960. We can read some of those responses if we have time later in the show. But for now, we're going to head to a quick break. And coming up next, we're going to bring on Eric Tehachik. He's a senior national writer at The Athletic. He's based in Calgary. He was in Edmonton for Game 1 and 2 against the Kings. So we can uh, talk to Eric about that series and, and what could maybe come next for the Calgary Flames. That's coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, welcome back to the show. Final segment of the hour here before we've got another slate of playoff games coming up tonight. Four more games, uh, Tampa Bay, Toronto, Rangers, Devils, Kraken, Avs, Jets, Golden Knights. We can look ahead to some of that with our next guest, Eric Dehachik, but we've got to get into, I guess... Calgary's favorite team, the LA Kings first, as we go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and bring in our friend Eric Tehachik from The Athletic. Eric, you've been in Edmonton for for this playoff series against the Kings. How's it going? How are you? Are you back home in Calgary? I got home five minutes ago. I was uh, I was driving down the highway and I was listening to the, the first uh, half hour of your show. So uh, I thought, yeah, I'm going to make it home just in time. So uh, yeah, I was there uh, last night and uh, uh, and you know, was there for the, the off day the, the day before, just to really try. You know what it's like, Haley. You can write it from afar, but if you're in the dressing room, you just you get you just get a greater sense of confidence levels, of camaraderie, of of by play. I, I, I just I, I like physically being in in a place to to yeah. to, to better get the temperature of a uh, of the of the series and. Uh, 
and you just feel like you have a little bit more knowledge. And plus, some of those, like I, I don't really know Corpus Allo, so you know, it's an opportunity to you know to speak to him, um, put faces to names. I haven't seen Nick Bugstad in forever, but I was reminding him that the last time we. Uh, I interviewed him. He was the leading scorer of the Florida Panthers, and he reminded me that he was in the record book as the, the fewest points of a leading scoring team of all time, and, and he had a good oh. laugh for that. Really nice kid. <laughs> anyway, so, so yes, I was there, and, uh, and I, you know, yes, I thought yesterday's game was very interesting because it was, you know, the, the first period went exactly the same way it did in game one. Edmonton looked like they were going to run them out of the building. And, you know, that rope-a-dope style that the Kings are playing, they, you know, they got back in. I thought it was a weak goal by Skinner to, 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 to get the game tied. And, and honestly, it, it looked like, you know, it, would, it could go either way. So I think the fact that, you know, that Costin, Clem Costin scored that goal when he did, that just allowed the Oilers to collectively exhale. And, and right. it was their game from there on. You know, I thought they... They shut it down very, very well, which is what, of course, they failed to do in, in game one. So it's, it's, to me, it's going to be interesting now that the, the series shifts back to, to Los Angeles because Todd McClellan doesn't normally chase matchups um, mm-hmm. because he does have Kopitar and to know to play against Dreisaitl and, and, and McDavid. Uh, but if he wants to, he can in that building. And uh, one of the things Todd was saying after the game yesterday, and, and I think it's hard to dispute this, is they, they, they just can't keep getting behind in games against a team like Edmonton and hope to, to pull this Houdini act. That is not a winning formula. And, and, and he's right. So, you know, they have a chance to go home to, to reset and let's see where it goes. I mean, you know, if you're the underdog uh, and, and that's Los Angeles clearly in this series, if you can, if it can go one, one, two, two, three, three, you know, then anything can happen in a game seven. So I think they just want to kind of hang around and, and give them trouble and, you know, they've managed to do a decent job of, of containing McDavid so far. Dreisaitl, I think, has been Edmonton's best player by far. And, um, so, yeah, a lot of interesting, you know, plot twists uh, have happened already in that series. And I think there's still a few more to come. Absolutely. I think when you look at the the way that the first two games started and you mention it, like very, very similar. It's the Oilers' power play. It's so hard to beat. Like, that's probably a big key for for the Kings here throughout the rest of the series is stop giving them the opportunity to go on the power play. It's been one of the best in the league over the last, what, three years? Like, I mean, it's easier said than done because uh, the Oilers have so much speed. They'll just get by you and, and kind of force you into those stick infractions and, and penalties like that. But you've just got to limit the amount of times you you let them cook on the man advantage. Yeah, 100%. But the one thing I would tell you, and I, I think because a lot of people don't pay close attention to Los Angeles in the regular season, is that they had a top five power play themselves. And that was really the difference in game one. You know, I agree. Edmonton had a record setting power play, like the best power play of all time. I used to think the power play on that 89 Flames team, you know, when they had McKinnis and, and Suter at, at the point and, and Mullen down low, that, that was the best power play I'd ever seen until this year. Uh, but the Kings were very effective with the man advantage as well. And I think that it had to do with the fact that, you know, Dowdy was there the whole year. Jersey's a very good power play quarterback on, on the, on the second unit. And, and the other sort of thing that, that very few people are talking about uh, in, in, as it relates to the Kings is they've, they've done all of this in this last little while without Kevin Fiala. So when you think about, you know, key off season moves, the fact that Los Angeles was able to acquire Kevin Fiala from Minnesota because Minnesota couldn't afford to, to sign him with their cap issues, but he was a, a really 
interesting X factor for that team. Five on five, he played a lot on, on the third line, uh, but he was a catalyst on, on that power play. And the one thing that that LA team lacked last year against uh, Edmonton was that they just, they just didn't flat out have enough offense. So Fiala came in and, and really gave that a boost. And, and here we are two games in the series and, and he didn't even make it to Edmonton yesterday. Gabe Velarde played and played. Okay. I thought, you know, considering he He'd been off for as long as he'd been off, uh, but he slots in as a bottom six guy on that team right now. But but Fiala, I think, if 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 he could ever get to the position where he's back in the lineup and 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 at the point where he can actually contribute to something, um, you know, that would really boost the LA's LA's chances right now because he was such an important player for them in the regular season, especially in terms of getting that power play into the top five. I mean, right now. You know, Alex Ayafalo is on that unit. He scored the big goal in the, in the first game. But there is a level of and, – and, and I love Ayafalo as a player, but in terms of offensive capabilities, there's a big drop-off between Ayafalo and and, uh, and Fiala. And so uh, we'll see. You know, they were very noncommittal about, you know, what Fiala's status is, but they probably don't even know themselves. You know, they went home today. They didn't stay over. And I think that they'll reassess, and then, you know, we'll probably find out uh, – at some point Friday, whether he's in or, or whether this injury is going to keep him on the sidelines for a while yet. So as you mentioned, the series is tied 1-1 heading back to L.A. Um, do you have a, a thought on who's going to end up advancing? I know that you had a great piece on The Athletic looking at, um, you know, speaking to, to scouts and people in the league for their predictions. And, and obviously you did that with the Kings and the Oilers. The consensus was that Edmonton advances. But uh, do you think the Kings have enough to, to maybe go for a big upset here? Well, so and there was one of the three picked LA. You know, the one thing I liked about my panel was that they normally you talk to longtime NHL people, and, and you get you get a consensus, and it's all favorites. You know, so after a while, you start laughing a little bit. But I, I give them credit. You know, uh, you know, one one of my three people said, "No, I'm picking LA," and and I said, "Whoa, okay, I didn't expect that." <laughs> Um, no, I, I mean, first of all, I'm not a better, but 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 I think <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> I, 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 Edmonton has the better team, and territorially, Edmonton was the better team in in both of those games. So the rational part of my lizard brain says that you know that Edmonton escaped that uh, you know the, those two games. Uh, you know, they, they they I mean that game was hanging in the balance in the third period. If they were down 2-0, I might have a different answer. But no, I think Edmonton. I think Edmonton is just a better team. And I think that they will they will go to Los Angeles and relax a little bit and just play and and you know McDavid has one assist so far in the game. I, I just don't see that I don't see that continuing. I think he, you know he is going to have a, a McDavid type of a, an outing somewhere along the line here. So, but the one thing about Los Angeles is you know, and I know a lot of people pay attention to the way say the Carolina Hurricanes play and defend. You know, they have really great structure there hard on, on the on the forecheck. They're a tough team to play against. Well, to me, the Los Angeles Kings are, are the Western Conference equivalent of, of, of the Carolina Hurricanes. They are a tough out. You know, those mm-hmm. even the skill guys like like the Victor Arvidsons, you know, the guys like Kopitar, they're heavy, they're fast. You can't push them off of the puck. You can't push them out of the game. And that's that's how you you bounce back when you get down uh, 2-0. And then I think that one of, you know, we always wait for young players to emerge, right? So, you know, young player comes in the league, first-round draft choice, you know, makes it to the NHL, then becomes a regular in the NHL. And then all of a sudden, you know, can you take that third step and become 
an elite player. Well, I think Adrian Kempe became that player this year. 40-goal scorer, probably the quietest 40-goal scorer in, in, in the National Hockey League. But he and Kopitar have a, a great chemistry going there. So, you know, when, when you think about, you know, like a game that, that could go either way and, and who's got the, the horses, you know, to, to pull that rabbit out of the hat, probably Edmonton on paper has more of those guys. But I, I don't underestimate Kempe's ability. Like, he's one of those guys that he's, he's got supreme confidence right now. I, I think that that was an issue with him earlier in his career. that had a lot of talent, but just sort of was having a little bit of trouble, you know, finding his way. You know, he was, he was a good NHL player, but now he's an excellent NHL player. And so, you know, again, if, if, if they can, you know, you know, keep splitting games, you know, two, two, three, three, you know, anything can happen in, in a game seven. But if you're asking me for a prediction, no, I'll pick Edmonton over Los Angeles. All right. We were having a, a conversation on the text line with, with some fans here of like, who is, are the Kings the team that you're cheering for? Cause you don't want to see Edmonton go far. We did have one uh, texter say they actually want the Oilers to go all the way. They're not buying into the, the mindset that flames are good. Oilers are bad. We're all in the same province and play against North America. So we did get one go Oilers text, but uh, some <laughs> others who are going like, yes, Kings all the way couple people cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs, hoping Mark Giordano can have some success. And a couple little couple fans uh, here of the Winnipeg Jets and their underdog story. We'll see how that series continues tonight. Jets in Vegas, Golden Knights. But we've got a few more minutes left here with you, Eric. So I want to transition a bit from the playoffs to the Calgary Flames. Um, it was nine days ago now where the Flames officially were eliminated from the playoffs uh, by the Nashville Predators. And this season was pretty much off the rails almost from the start, right? This was not the year that anybody thought that they could have. And and you had a piece in The Athletic, Eric, about um, this this Flames offseason is probably going to be full of drama and some big decisions. Uh, Do you have a thought on what could come next in Calgary? Well, first of all, I was very impressed with with Don Maloney and, and the press conference where they announced that you know that they had mutually agreed to part ways with with Brad Tree Living. You know, Don and Brad, I think we all know, are are really good friends, and, and it was very difficult for him to you know to essentially take over. And I think he made it pretty clear that you know that that you know Brad had been at it for nine years, and that he was feeling a, a you know a bit of burnout. It was just a really tough, hard slog for him. And, and he needed a break. So, so the first, you know, and, and what I will tell you is that everything has to be done in incremental steps. So the first step was, you know, deciding who is going to run hockey operations. So right now we know it's not going to be Brad Tree Living. He's he stepped away from the team. And so I thought the the message that came through from from Don was that I am going to, you know, find out. You know, I, I want to get everybody's opinion first. I want to find out. I want to get Daryl Daryl Sutter's tape on things. I want to get the tape from the players. I want to get the tape from the assistant coaches. I want to gather all of that information. Then I want to take time and digest the information. I, I think that was almost missed in, in that press conference. I'm a big believer in sitting there and thinking. And, 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 and I think people in the world today want to rush judgments and they want answers right away. And sometimes when the answer isn't clear cut, you need to sit down there and think about it. And, and he said that three or four different times during the press conference and on Pat Steinberg's show afterwards. And I thought, good for you. Good for you. Sit down there 
gather all that information, do whatever it takes, a list of pros and cons, figure out what, what happens next, and then, then make a decision. Because I, okay, so, and then the next step is, if you decide that Daryl Sutter is going to be your coach, then you have to apprise the general manager coming in that you are not going to have a call about the coach because we have a coach here that a year ago was the coach of the year in the National Hockey League. We had a 111-point team. Things didn't go our way, but we think we have a, a good team. So we are going to stay the course with this coach, and will you accept this job on the basis of that? And, and that could potentially disqualify some candidates uh, that, who might be applying for the general manager's position because they would come in and say, well, no, if I'm going to be the general manager of the team, I have to be able to, to make that decision. And so if you're committed to that coach, then maybe I'm not interested in that job. So, so that is one way of going. The other way of going is to make a decision about the coach before you hire the general manager with the idea that then the new general manager can come in and set the course of the hockey operations department. So that, that's, that's the crossroads that they're at the next. That's step two. The first step, Bradford Living stepping down. The next step is, are you staying the course with your coach or are you, or are you moving on for him? And, and, you know, and, and Don said at his press conference that he's going to take some time and not make an emotional decision, which again is the correct answer. You know, if, if, if you're in, if you've been in charge of the operation for two days, you can't pretend to know everything and you have to, to, to make the, the right call. And, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, you know, there are times when, you know, you're reading the tea leaves and you have a pretty good sense of which way it's going to go. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, I think it could go either way. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, the, problem, the, the difficulty in terms of making this decision is that, that you know, Daryl had a very good year behind the bench last year. And, and I think, that, you know, it would be fair to say that it wasn't nearly as good a year this year. And there was clearly some pushback, especially from some of the new players to his tactics. Um, obviously, there are players that, that really subscribe to Daryl's way of, of coaching. Tyler Toffoli is one. He had a great year. Trevor Lewis, you know, uh, you know goes back to the L.A. days with, uh, with Daryl. So there are, are clearly some players on side with him and some that have had some difficulty. And then the one elephant in the room that, that everyone has talked about multiple times is you have core players going into the final years of their contract and their exit interviews saying very frankly, you know, I want to see the direction things are going before I decide I want to stay in Calgary, whether I want to stay in Calgary or not. And that is a critical thing because if, you know, the decision by Elias Lindholm, by Mikhail, Michael Backlund, by Noah Hannafin, uh, is is I'm not interested in, in staying on here because of whatever reason. Then 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 now you have to decide. Okay, are we taking two steps back and 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 and, and trying to work with younger players? And if we are doing that, you know, I don't think that Daryl Sutter is the right coach for for that philosophy. So right. so well, I guess you know I, I, this, that's a long answer in terms of saying <laughs> this. Okay. Has to There's a lot going on. One one step at a time. One step at a time. And so. And, and again, the thing, uh, one of the things I liked about Don Maloney's messaging, we're not in any rush. There isn't a lot of business to be transacted at this time of year. We have to decide whether we're going to sign a few juniors or not. But we've got a long time to go before the draft. We've got a long time to go before free agency. We have time to make the decision. We have time to you know, compile a list of, of potential candidates. People are already reaching out to him to see you know, what criteria they, you know, they're looking for in, in a general manager. Um, 32 jobs, right, Haley? 32 yeah. jobs for NHL general managers. There's a lot of resumes flying into that uh, office in the last 72 hours. 
Well, there's a lot to dig into, and we'll have to do this again, Eric. That's all the time we have on the show, so we will have to, to run out. But thank you, as always, for, for the time and the insight. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Sally. Thank you. There goes Eric Tehachik. He's a senior national writer at The Athletic. Uh, yeah, let's face it. It's going to be a challenging offseason in Calgary. Um, you know, tree living is gone. We've talked about that. There's still, you know, questions about Daryl Sutter, but he does have time left on his contract. Jonathan Huberto's eight-year, $84 million contract extension is about to kick in uh, after a huge decline in in production he's going to have a lot to prove Nazem Kadri will too Markstrom will too there's no easy quick fixes in Calgary but I guess the glass half full view is that there's as Eric just said a lot of time before some of the important benchmarks of the offseason to work through all these pieces on the to-do list. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Eric and Kristen for joining the show. Thanks to Cam and Taylor for helping behind the scenes. As always, uh, we will be back tomorrow with another edition of Hockey Central here on Sports at 960 The Fan.